fans and welcome back to the Demon Lamb podcast. My name is Andy and season 2020 is over but it certainly didn't go quietly. Our story is not quite over yet with delistings, Brownlow medal, All-Australian trade week and the draft yet to come. Joining me tonight is longtime Demon Lander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, everybody. And GWS and Fremantle Football Club are definitely off the Christmas card list. Absolutely, they are off the uh, Christmas card list. Uh, I wasn't really expecting much from from either team, but uh, yes, now they, uh, you know, my I've, I've put their memberships back in, into the microwave and and, and press, press the button. Uh, also joining us tonight is a long-time caller to the show, Bidman. Good evening, Bidman. How are you? Good evening, Demon Landers, George and Andy. Um, yes, now that question about whether the um, there's an asterisk on this season for me is, uh, yeah, I've been uh, sort of not quite sure of how I felt about that, but now I'm pretty sure there's definitely an asterisk on the Premiership winner this year for sure. Yeah, I was ready to sort of... Uh, you know, uh, make the case for the, it not being an asterisk, uh, but now I'm firmly in the... Uh, in the asterisk, asterisk camp. <laughs> <laughs> the other thought I had, Andy, was this week was a new way for Melbourne fans to suffer because it began on the Monday night with um, hoping the uh, Saints would get rolled by the Suns and uh, just kept on dripping that water torture, kept on dripping all week, didn't it? Friday night, well, the Giants couldn't get the job done. Saturday, we just got the job done in the end. And then Sunday, of course, we didn't. So, And then the Collingwood game was thrown in the mix too, wasn't it? So, Yeah, but that was, uh, yeah, that was over sort of uh, last, a, a few uh, few days ago anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we love hearing from Demon Landis. So if you'd love to join our program tonight to discuss any of the topics uh, that we talk about, uh, you can give us a call on 03 nine zero one six three triple six or you can skype us at demonland 31 while i turn on the computer that actually has that going uh if you're listening to the show live you can join us in our chat room uh, we can ask questions or post comments by heading over uh, to demonland.com slash podcast if you're listening to the show at your leisure via soundcloud on demonland.com or via an Apple or Android podcasting app. Give us a subscribe. Uh, you'll receive updates when a new show drops. Uh, please leave us a favourable review. It really does help uh, other people find the show. Uh, we're also on Spotify and Stitcher, so you can get the show that way too. Go to demonland.com and find the links to your preferred method of listening. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Facebook, facebook.com slash demonland31, Twitter at demonland, Instagram at demonland31, or head over to YouTube, search for Demonland Podcast and listen to some of the interviews uh, that we've conducted with uh, current and past players and coaches. If you love talking about the Ds 24-7 all year round, join up to demonland.com and you can chat with other Ds fans about uh, the club and all the goings on. And this actually is the best time of the, the season for Demonland when we're heading into to trade, the draft, uh, and then into pre-season training. So, um, yeah. Head over to demonland.com and and you can discuss about the D's throughout the summer. Um, well, boys, um, 
you know, this match really summed up uh, pretty much the whole of 2020 in uh, one game. We had uh, some moments of brilliance. Uh, we had the lack of connection into the 40, uh, Ford 50 at times. We had an inability to stem the flow of uh, opposition go- goals. We almost blew a lead. Uh, I had a few small heart attacks towards the end. It, it really was the whole year wrapped up in one. Um, and, and you mentioned sort of all the things that we were sort of wanting to happen, you know, St Kilda winning, uh, GWS beating St Kilda. I just wonder, had the Giants won, what would have happened in that game? We would have needed the percentage and we were sort of set up to sort of thump uh, the Bombers. And obviously the, that first part of the equation didn't didn't pan out. So we weren't going for percentage, but would we, uh, Big Man, I'll ask you, would we have blown the lead uh, had we been needing it? I, I guess it's probably a moot point now, uh, but it was disappointing. Uh, it's interesting, actually, because um, I posted on Demonland that if you're a, a fan of the idea of a premiership point for um, a, you know incentivizing high scoring with a premiership point, it would have been an interesting exercise um, in in one of the positive outcomes of doing so. Because if the Giants had won by say four goals and we needed to win by a four five goal margin, or let's say we had to win by fifty. Um, Goodwin would have had to engineer an attacking game plan, presumably, or alternatively, maybe just play how we normally um, would and then keep going. Um, he would have had to um, sort of work out what the best way forward to get a five, you know, let's say a five goal, if that was the case, or 10 goal margin. Um, I tend to think, though, that the pressure would have been more and then it would have, would have been difficult to, to play the game that they would have if that was the case, Andy, in terms of the. Um, needing a 10-goal win. If you need a 10-goal win, it's probably a, a bad starting point, isn't it? Because you're just always thinking about the pressure of scoring. Um, having said that, I've backed um, the Ds over 39. That was my confidence that we'd um, given them a hiding after the fact that we didn't need the score. I wouldn't have been keen at all uh, if Giants had... Um, um, you know, if Giants had won and we needed a margin, I wouldn't have been keen at all on thrashing them. But once that pressure was off and we just had to worry about the win, I was thinking we were a Monty to, um, to smash them. And we should have been, you know, we really should have been close to 10 goals up at half time, I reckon. We wasted so many opportunities and uh, we let them back in. Um, we'll probably talk about it, but they were mucking around at that three quarter time break. Um, and um, we'll talk about that. Exactly as you said, you know, it's like demons in a day, isn't it? Um, should have been 10 goals up, weren't because of our kicking um, accuracy. Uh, we're not fully switched on at three-quarter time and we almost get rolled. Or not, you know, perhaps, well, they got within seven points, so close enough <laughs> to my liking. We've, we've seen it all before, haven't we? That's that's why we keep coming back, I suspect. But um, I, I really love the comments from Titus O'Reilly um, this week where he said if Melbourne had got into the finals, they could do some real damage. Not to not to the other teams, but to their fans. And I think I think that summed it up pretty well. We we saw it all this week, and we're used to it. So um, uh, maybe missing out has has given us a bit more resilience to come back for next year. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, what what might have been look like we we'd be going over to to Perth, and um, obviously you'd you'd love to have that opportunity, you'd love to make the finals, but I, I fear we would be crying in our drinks uh, in two weeks' time um, with a hiding over there. But still, you'd love to make it. You know, that's what we play footy for to get into finals, to make finals, and uh, you know we blew out our chance. Um, 
we blew our chance. And, and the question has to be raised, the controversy of George um, suggesting that we'll smash and should smash the Swans. It all started going horribly wrong after that point. Um, it's a bit of I'm, a stretch. I'm to blame. <laughs> Sorry. I'm to blame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should have. You're not to blame. We, we really should have. We should have We should have smashed them and we should have beaten, beaten the Dockers. Um, simple as that. Uh, the Bulldog showed what, what it takes. Um, you know, your season's on the line and uh, effectively we we were the, you know, we were, we were waiting, we were wanting uh, the Dockers to beat the Bulldogs, but uh, just a few weeks before, as it turns out, the, the Bulldogs were hoping the Dockers would beat us and, and they did. Well, it, was, it was actually interesting, um, that game, watching the game in some senses, because both teams showed Melbourne how um, you know Frio showed in that first quarter how you had to beat to to beat the dogs how you had to play which is uh, as we talked about the lead up to that game is to spread and to get across and defensively work hard and not allow the out, outlet kick not allow them to switch and move the ball down the wing as soon as that dropped off um, that spread they um, the dogs got a hold of them and equally um, the dogs showed the way to um, beat. Um, uh, the Frio, which was ex, you know, basic execution. Their execution in that game was was you know mostly above average. And when they had to, uh, they kicked straight. They took their chances, uh, stayed in the game, and then uh, kicked away. And um, you know, like a good professional footy team. So um, both of those teams showed the D's what um, needs to be done at this level. And both of those, um, both St Kilda and. Um... The dogs, when the game was on the line for them, they showed exactly what needed to be done, and ultimately, they were the ones who got into the into the eight and finals because they did what they needed to. When we had our chance, we blew it. So, um, I think it was only proper and right in a sense that both of those sides um, got through, and we didn't. We we're exactly on the ladder where we should be, and um, given the performances that we had during the year. Yeah, and I, and I think that. It sort of there's a you know range of questions in there about why that is. Um, for me, I keep coming back, or well, more and more coming back to the list, and you know I think the um, I, I think our list is falls away pretty um, badly after that. You know your top 10, 11 players, and um, the dogs last night had um, a couple of their good players out, um, and even uh, Norton out at halftime. But um, they had you know they I think they're by and large got a better list than us. St Kilda, I'm not quite convinced that's the case. Um, but, um, you know, they've added some really good players this year, the Saints. And, um, you know, I mean, we we're on a par though. What ended up with four more points than us? Or did they end up on 40 points? So two more two more wins. So, um, yeah, I think that we really got to get on with um, adding some talent to that list. But how you go about that's a challenge. Absolutely, and uh, when you talk about sort of uh, uh, sort of uh, talk about you know rating our list, I think uh, I sort of mentioned to you guys uh, today that uh, we'll probably do a show in a couple of weeks where we'll go through our list, uh, uh, do a bit of a player ratings and, and all that. So we'll get to that in the, in the next couple of weeks. Um, uh, the usual suspects uh, had good games this week: May, Gorn, Petrarca, Oliver. Langdon, Salem. Uh, most weeks we tend to focus on the negative uh, and we don't give uh, like the guys who were at the coalface the credit. So um, this is my thank you to those guys. Uh, you know, shout outs to Oliver and Petraka for being number one and two this year for contested possessions. Uh, Oliver was number one at 
227 contested possessions and, and um, followed by Petrarca 216 and then Lockie Neal on 212. Uh, it's a pretty remarkable effort from those two. Um, they're, you know, <laughs> getting getting the ball out. Um, what I want, yeah, I was uh, going to say that when speaking about those guys in particular, I wanted to make mention that um, uh, of our Demon Land Player of the Year um, this year has been awarded to uh, Christian Petrarca. Uh, he was number one on 175 votes, followed by Steve of May, 137, Oliver on, in third on 133. Uh, Max uh, leapfrogged uh, Jack Viney this week on 124, Jack Viney fifth on 111, and Ed Langdon brings out the uh, sixth top six on uh, 87. Um, so just wanted to sort of thank those guys because they're sort of week in, week out. They sort of smashed the rest of the team in terms of votes uh, throughout the year. So they were, they're our most uh, consistent uh, players for sure. And, and you'd have to think that that's going to be a pretty um, pretty representative of the outcomes on uh, Wednesday night for the uh, Bluey Truscott Award. You know, the the tracker, I think, is has been the standout this year, and I suspect all those other guys will be in a pretty similar uh, sort of uh, format as to what uh, the Demon Land voters have, have come out with. Is that up in Queensland, um, they're having that, George? Or do they? What, what's the deal? Have they come back from Queensland now, or...? I got an email from the club. Um, uh, join us uh, as we award the 2020 Keith Bluey Truscott Memorial Trophy from our hub on the Sunshine Coast. Yep, so it is. A Wednesday, 23rd of September broadcast begins at 7pm. Uh, so it's a, a, you can stream it on uh, melbournefc.com.au or the official club app or the their Facebook page or their YouTube channel. So there's plenty of uh, avenues for you to watch that. So that that should be good. Um, I could go wrong. A bunch of uh, you know young men up on the Gold Coast having or Maroochydore having been knocked out and staying around in a hub with all bets off. Like this. Well, you'd think a lot of them are probably going to stay in Queensland or or in some some non uh, lockdown state. Yeah, I, so. I don't think many would want to come back unless they because a lot of their partners are up there, families yeah, are, uh, so they might stay there and have a have a little bit of a holiday. Um, certainly wouldn't want to come back here and have to be stuck in your house for, for another couple of weeks. Um, yeah, so that's the thing. Let's let's move on. Uh, Mitch Brown, I, I I really hope we give this guy another contract. Uh, he's the wrong side of thirty, but he, he he gives it a crack in every game that I've seen him play. Leads up the ground well, provides a target, can take a mark. He doesn't doesn't he and doesn't have the turning circle of a Titanic. Uh, I'd I'd like to see him score a few more goals, but I'm very happy. Uh, with the 20 disposals and 13 marks uh, that he got this week. Um, just some, some stats on him. His season average of five games uh, is 11.4 disposals, uh, 7.8 kicks, six marks, and 0.4 goals. Uh, for comparison, T-Mac uh, from nine games had 8.6 disposals, so he's had uh, three less, uh, 5.6 kicks, about two less kicks, uh, and 3.2 marks, so three less marks, and only... A tiny bit uh, is 0.8 goals. Uh, Wiedemann from 30 matches had, had 7.7 disposals, so he's less than that. 4.5 kicks, he's less on the kicks. 3.2 marks, so he's less in the marks, and 1.5 goals. 
average. Um, Mitch Brown has them pretty much covered in in all of that except the goals. So um, I would look. That's only from five games, so we don't know what he, what he'll do in eighteen games or, or twenty three. Um, I'd like to see him get a, a, at least another year contract. Um, uh, George, what are your thoughts on Mitch Brown? Yeah, I have to agree with that. Um, I think um, we need to keep uh, Mitch Brown more importantly. I don't think Wiedemann's showing enough at the moment, um, particularly if Wiedemann's the sole focus up forward. Um, T-Mac is um, potentially um, injured in some way at the moment, whether he can come back, uh, but we just need that big body up there. Um, I don't think it's right to expect Jackson to come in next year. His body still will take a couple of years to develop. Um, and if you've got a guy who's just going to play every every game that, it, that um, Mitch Brown's capable of, kick a goal or two like he has, uh, it's exactly what he did at Essendon. And wouldn't Essendon be screaming out for a Mitch Brown uh playing in their side today. So um, I think we need to keep him on because if we if we don't keep him on, we could potentially be throwing uh, a couple of young players to the Wolves um, uh, next year. I, I think we just need to just to have him around. The other, the other thing about Brown that really highlighted in this last couple of games is he's running up the field. And if you remember in 2018 when... Um, T-Mac was really playing his best footy. Uh, sure, he was kicking goals and taking his chances with his accuracy, but uh, he did a lot of running up the ground and so did Hogan in that year, 2018, probably more so even Hogan, um, that sort of tall forward who gets a lot of his kicks across the opposition's half-forward um, flank. He pushed up high in um, both these last two games. In fact, in all the games he's played, Brown, and I think that running for a tall forward, um, it can't be underestimated how important that is. And um, I remember a few games back you mentioned, um, Andy, that um, uh, Wiedemann had done quite a lot of running or um, that you know, second in the um, in the in the running totals for the game. And I think that's changed. He's playing deeper and Brown's playing that player up the ground. And um, you just need that now, I think, sort of most teams seem to have that forward who, you know, really provides an outlet kick, but you just need, like Hogan's probably the exact model that uh, we've lacked. Um, so we probably need him to play that role and, you know, it doesn't seem to be anyone else coming through um, that could play that role. I guess Jackson does to an extent, um, but he, Jackson's unlikely to have the um, tank that Mitch Brown does, you'd think, at his age. Yeah, Agreed. Um, uh, Jaden Hunt, uh, I was really impressed with with his game and we'll talk about the three-quarter time incident later, but uh, four goals is good reward. Uh, this is the output you'd like to see from Hunt, but uh, where to now for, for Jaden? Uh, I, I believe it's the last year um, on his contract. Um, uh, last year he was our highest goal scorer playing as a forward. He's struggled to get a game this year. He's ended up playing only six of the 17 games. And as I mentioned, I believe he's out of contract. Um, Big man, what, what are your thoughts to, on Jaden Hunter? Is this, uh, do we persist with him? Uh, he's been a bit inconsistent, but uh, we know that he can, can score, score goals and we sort of need some scorers. It's a really tricky one because from a player who you'd think on the face of it would should be pretty flexible in where you can play him. He's sort of running out of positions where he can be played. I think the way footy's now um, sort of headed in the in, even in the short time that he's been in um, forty so five six years is 
teams are setting up behind the ball and um, he's got no space to run into. So his weapon off the halfback flank is taken away from him because, um, you know, he's not given that space to run into and, and carry the ball. So the other position is really the wing um, um, for him. So I would have thought, you know, the wing it, it might be a spot for him, but it, it, he's sort of outside the 50. Ironically, his field kicking is is not that strong. And um, um, I say ironically because inside 50, his um, kicking for goal is, is excellent. And a couple of his goals, he did something that a lot of Melbourne players don't seem to have the ability to do, which drives me nuts, which is balance up and slow down a bit um, as mm. he's kicking for goal. And um, his set shots are excellent. And that, that goal we kicked on the run um, from 30-odd, where he balanced up was an excellent yeah, kick as well. So, you know, he, he must be on the bubble of being cut, but, you know, like we we need players who can kick accurately. Um, but he's a bit like T-Mac in that respect. He's an accurate kick for goal, but a pretty terrible field kick. And um, I, I always tend to think that, remember that game against, I think it was Adelaide, the Adelaide Oval, where he got collected by um, one of the Crows' hips, like he ran flat out into his hip. I always feel feel like that that's something sort of shifted in his game after that. Um, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but he just never seemed to have been the same player since that that incident. It was a big hit. I, I remember that hit very well because I was about ten metres away from it when it happened. Um, I think it was uh, Sam Jacobs. He, he ran into more more than Sam hit him, but um, he, he just hit the deck like a. St- uh, a pack, uh, a sack of spuds. <laughs> trying to get that out of my mouth. Um, it, it was something shocking, and he was out straight away before he did even hit the ground. It was something. Not, but yeah, that's the enigma of um, of Jaden, isn't it? Um, unfortunately, you know, people people see this game and they go, "Great game from him. He had he kicked the four goals, and you can't complain about that by any stretch." Um, but in the six games that he's played this year, he's had a grand total of thirty five touches. Um, mm. seven tackles in, in six games and no tackles in the last three games. He's not on his own in that respect. Mm. Um, but again, um, the goals he's kicked, he's kicked four in this game and he kicked three against Carlton and not much else in the in the rest of them. So um, what's his value? Um, he's got this great running ability, but like Bin Man said, the... Um, the uh, double line of defence that most teams are now running means that there's no space to run through. Um, he's, he's fantastic, as we saw on the weekend when he gets out the back. Um, but what what are you going to do with him for the for the other um, uh, uh, sort of three and three quarters of the game when that situation doesn't present itself? So, yeah, he's a bit of an enigma and he is out of contract this year. Um, he's not on his own there. Um, but um, we've it's going to be some hard decisions made at the end of the year. I hope he hasn't put himself in a position where he he's um, expendable, uh, but we have to wait and see. And at the risk of being a, sounding like a broken record, again, because you, you can't um, see it on television, you can't tell how much um, defensive running he's doing to um, stop the spread. So, you know, he might be playing his role um and, and working hard defensively to get across and cover the outlet. And with his speed, you'd hope that that's definitely a factor. Um, but as you say, George, that's the problem with, with low possession players and Wiedemann's in the same boat. 
five, six possessions a game, well, you then got to kick your goals. And if, you know, it's great that he, he kicked goals, but if suddenly you go through a couple of matches where you don't score a goal, your value to the team, um, even if you are doing the defensive running, you know, drops right away, you really need players getting, you know, particularly tackles as well, because tackles aren't really a factor about, you know, your team role and, and, and running. You know, everyone should be getting a tackle again. Um, uh, Bailey Fritch, uh, leading goal kicker for the D's this year. And uh, all I can really say about Fritch is they need to investigate and work on his set shot kicking. Uh, you know, perhaps it's above the shoulders. Um, maybe it's the mechanics of his kicking style. I'm, I'm not too sure. Something is definitely up. Uh, and, and look, his problem's not getting the ball. Uh, he, he's He's got a small frame, but he can still take a mark. And uh, so that's not the issue. But three goals, four uh, this week, uh, he's had 22 goals, 24 for the season. Uh, previous years, uh, last uh, la- uh, last year was 20 goals, 16. The year before, 17 goals, 12. So he's kicked his most goals, but he's also been <laughs> a lot less accurate uh, this year. But in, having a look at the other years, he was, wasn't terribly accurate, still kicked a, a lot of points. So I think that's something they've got to look at because he's getting the ball, he's just not – Converting and three goals four can can hurt you. you know, I obviously love the three goals, but I'd love seven goals more than that. Um, uh, George, yeah, but but Bailey's um, he's, he's done exactly what we need him to do. You know, he's that um, small forward. He's kicking twenty goals twenty goals a season. You can't ask for much more than than that from um, you know a second stringer, effectively, or even a third stringer. Um, he's been our leading goal scorer for the last two years. Um, only um, Petraka is the only one who's um, sort of behind him. Um, it'd be really nice if he could just nail those goals, particularly early on. Um, mm. He seems to get better and better as the games go on and gets into the swing of it. Um, but he had uh, two really bad misses in that first quarter. Um, if, if he'd nailed that, the game would have been over in that first quarter well and truly and we would have been on our way to a 10-goal win. But um, it's always concerning when you know, one of your supposedly better kicks is 35 and 40 metres out on slight angles and still doesn't get the ball through through the goals. Um, it's very frustrating for us as Melbourne supporters. But like I said, you can't complain about someone who's kicking 20 goals a year as number three three in the forward line, maybe number four in the forward line. Yeah, there was talk on Dean Lane about um, Gunston um, being out of contract and would we look at him? Um, yeah, I'm not sure that really you'd need – I mean, Gunston's a terrific player, fantastic. One of my favourite um, non-Melbourne players, actually. How um, old is he? I think no? he's 31, 32. So, I mean, Hawks are no guarantee for trading him but um, or retiring him. I'm not sure what the, uh, the description is. But, I mean, really, Fritch plays that role. So he's not as good. I'm not saying he's uh, as good as Gunston. But it's you've already got a player who's kicking, uh, as George notes, his 20, 25 goals. Um, I tend to think with his goal kicking, there's two factors. One, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he gets he takes a lot of his kicks from the boundary. That wasn't the case in his misses early on. Um, but to me, it seems there's a good chance it's psychological just in terms of um, those misses you know, because he's technically looks pretty good. Technically, he looks like a... Um, uh, a really good kick. So, um, and again, the commentators <laughs> love the ball in his hand, except Melbourne fans don't because he misses them. Um, 
One thing I'll say about Fritter, though, he's a natural footballer and I love how he uses his body in the marking contest. He, um, he's terrific with the ball in the air and reading it um, and just positioning his body and he could, he could um, teach Wiedemann a thing or two about how to position your body to maximise your chance of um, out-positioning your defender. Um, so you know, I thought he's really played solid footy for the last three, four games. It was a pity he got dropped for that game for sleeping in and... Um, but yeah, he's been. I, I reckon, apart from his kicking, he's been a real um, a shining light this year, actually. And um, you know, he's gone up in my estimation. He's also out of contract, I believe. Um, That's correct. Yeah. They'll, surely they they'll sign him up. Um, I, I know there was a, a thread on Demoland to say trade him. I haven't really sort of dipped into that thread because I think it's ridiculous. But. Uh, I, I, you wouldn't think he's going to be on the trade table? No, ab- absolutely not. And, and I think Binman hit it on the head. You know, what are you going to trade for a Bailey Fritch? You you have to go out and go chasing a Gunston type if he was ever available in the first place. But um, there's not too many uh, decent players around. Um, you're just going to be giving up one good player for another good player. Um, I don't know that you're going to get any great addition. You're not going to get... Um, a Jeremy Cameron for for a Bailey Fritch, but you, you are going to get something pretty equivalent. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, Jake Melksham uh, was well was used as a tagger again this week. Uh, was minding Shields. Um, I'm I'm not sure whether he was the whole day. He definitely was early on. Shield Shields had uh, 25 possessions and a goal. Melksham had eight touches and zero tackles. Uh, George, as you love to point out, uh, uh, for me, that experiment has been a clear failure for the past few weeks. There were a lot of people calling for Melksham to be dropped, but they've tried to bring him into the game by putting him into the middle uh, in that tagging role. It seems to me um, 2020 hasn't been a great year for Jake. Um, uh, Binman, uh, thoughts on, uh, on on Melksham? Yeah, it's um, – look, I – I don't know what leadership he provides off field. I don't know what, um, um, you know, the structure, the argument about him being a forward line leader has taken away a bit when you take him out in the forward line, I would have thought. So um, I I have been down on Melksham all season, um, been pretty vocal about it as well, um, both on the podcast and uh, on, on Demon Land. And, I really think that there was an error early on not dropping him um, because Wedges, uh, the coach, once if you don't drop a player who doesn't take their turn, when you do drop a player for not taking their turn like they did with Bernal, it sends a very strange message and everyone can see it. Um, and there, you know, I, I lost a lot of respect actually for Melksham this year and his inability to put his body on the line. And there was a moment in this game, I think we're 24 points up, maybe they kicked a goal, um, but, you know, we were still on top of the game and it was sort of fizzling at that point. And he absolutely um, took a short, big short step into a contest up in our forward line um, and it was just absolutely, you know, not AFL standard um, physical effort. Took a short step and the ball got whisked out of our um, back half um, and ended up in the hands of Stewart who marked um, on the lead up the other end, unfortunately on um, the one I think where he completely outfoxed Smith, who, who I know we're talking about next. We'll talk about next. Yeah, yeah. but they kicked the goal and suddenly it was 18 points and I thought to myself, that's where you lose a game of footy. 
That's exactly where we, we've got the momentum. We hadn't kicked a goal. 24, suddenly 18. The commentators get that stupid tone in their voice, all because Melksham refused to put his body on the line and take the hit that he had to take for the team. Basically took a sidestep, not not much worse than the more evident one that um, the Essendon player allowed, um, um, what's his name, uh, uh, he got through to kick his goal. Um, and the, as I said, the ball went straight out of our back half, uh, sorry, our forward half, I should say, straight out of our forward line, 20 metres out from goal, straight up the other end for a goal to them and so, and they're back in the game all of a sudden. Um, it was just, yeah, absolutely symbolic of how he's played all season, I reckon. Um, and so I, if he doesn't improve that aspect of his game and his on-field leadership, I, I don't see what value he's bringing. He's not... Kicking goals, he's not, um, you know, I don't care how big a leader he is off field. Um, on field, he's shown zero leadership from my perspective. This was, this was a complete uh, replica of last week when supposedly he was um, tagging Josh Kelly. And uh, same story, uh, was it seven or eight touches and zero tackles? Um, I, I just don't know how, how the guy's kept his spot in the team for the whole season. Binman's absolutely right. He should have been dropped earlier on in the season. Um, you can't. It, it's just sends such a horrible message to the rest of the the rest of the team. He's a guy who is, you know, obvious to the fans isn't performing. He's even would be even more obvious to his teammates that he's not performing. And while anybody can have a a bad run at things for a couple of weeks, um, he's had seventeen weeks this year where he's just not been up to scratch. Um, I, I don't know what value he's bringing um, in terms of leadership, but as, again, as been man said, the, the leadership is is leading by example in games of football, and I'm not seeing too much example that anybody would want to be following um, coming from Melcham at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know what to do with him. I suspect the coaches have thrown him into the middle because he's he's done absolutely nothing up forward. He won't put his body on the line. He won't go for marks. He's always looking for that cheapy out the back. Um, it, it's, it's. I just don't know where you're going to put him. Put him in the side for next year. The fortunate thing is he's um, contracted for next year. Otherwise, maybe um, he might be on the, find himself on the trade table. Well, he's he's contracted till 2022. Yeah, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just don't know what's going on. Um, we, you know, they've used him as a tag of the last couple of weeks. We've got a guy who's played his best footy as a tagger who's not in the team. They were playing harms out of position all year, I thought. Um, was never a fan of him as a, as a defender. Um, this is the guy, if you're going to be, if you're going to have a guy coming out and tagging, why not? have a guy who played his best footy in finals tagging some of the best players in the in the in the league he can't even get a game uh, it, it it i don't know it, uh... and also a tagger like we talked about it um i think 5 6 weeks ago why they're not playing harms as a tagger because it seemed to be that um, they've chosen not to. That few, you know, not all, most teams don't run a tagger. There's only a handful of teams that regularly um, run a tagger um, week in, week out. So um, we seem to have gone down the path of not having one. And then we do have one. But if, if I'm going to have a, um, if you know, if the D's are going to play a tagger, you want a tagger who's going to hurt their best midfielder with hard tackles and um, crunching mm. them. And you want a tagger who gets in their face and, you know, makes their life hell. 
that's what you you know. And Harms was good at that. Like he was, yeah, like Vince did to Dangerfield that day. Exactly. That's what exactly hundred percent. That's exactly what you want to tag it to do. And I can't recall Melksham doing any of that against. I mean, against Kelly. That's exactly what he should have been in Kelly's face the whole game. And you know, you put a viney on on a Kelly. Um, so yeah, it's it was. Curious decision, but I, I don't think he was on Shields the whole game. In fact, no, uh, I was. I couldn't work out where he was playing at one point. <laughs> the, the, the the you double double up effectively when when you've got a player the way Melsham's been playing in that tagging role is that not only is he not stopping the other guy, but when he's got getting seven and eight possessions playing in the middle, it means that that means that someone like a Viney or a Petraka or an Oliver isn't in there with their own rotations. We're effectively running only two people in the middle. Um, it, so it's not surprising that even though we've had ruck dominance when Melcham's in the middle and not getting a touch on the ball, that the opposition are winning the clearances. It's, it's just been awful to watch for the whole season. Yeah, I must say, usually I, um, I watch the replay again at some point in the weekend or before the podcast, I didn't this week because I was so frustrated with the way the season panned out. <laughs> uh, so I didn't get to look to see whether he was on uh, Shields the whole time. Um, Joel Smith uh, is the next one we'll look at, George. I know you'll uh, you'll love this one. Uh, he's one of your favourite players, I believe. Uh, <laughs> I thought I had another nightmare of a game. Uh, clearly, for, he's not a def- to me. He's not a defender. Uh, and I know Georgie wrote this in your um, in your report of the game that he he just doesn't read the 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 play well or the ball coming in well. And his his opponent had a blinder. He's he kicked three goals. He's be, kept them into the match. Uh, I, I, look, I believe if Marty Hall was fit this year, he'd be in the team well ahead of uh, Joel Smith. Um, and like like Hunt, uh, Smith is out of contract. Uh, George, what's 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 in in Joel Smith's future? Yeah, broke, broken records coming from me again, unfortunately. Mm. Um, yeah, you're ab- absolutely right. He, he's, 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 it's another failed experiment, unfortunately. You know, when we talk about Melcham and Harms and Joel Smith, the, the third one, um, he's just not a natural footballer. Um, uh, he was on Stewart for uh, two of the goals. Um, uh, Stuart uh, Hibbert was on Stuart for his second one, I think, or his third. I can't remember which. Um, but Smith was also on Laverde for their first goal. So yeah. In, yeah. in in the game, he gave away three goals to his direct opponent. But each time that um, his opponent scored was uh, was Joel was just miles away from where he needed to be. Um, I think it was telling the. Uh, one that uh, Laver- uh, was at Laverde, I think. I think might have been the first one. He he was he was in front of Laverde. Um, uh, it was dead easy for Laverde to, to come out the back and off to the side to take the mark that he did. Uh, the one where um, Stewart completely turned him inside out to come around the back of the pack and take take the mark in front of the goal was the same thing. He's just not aware of where the ball is and where his where his opponent is, and he he just doesn't run to the right spots. He doesn't doesn't know where to go. He's not a natural footballer, um, uh, so I just I just don't know what to do um, or what what he's expected to do. I think you, Andy, you're absolutely right that if Marty Hall was available. Um, then he'd he'd be doing the job, but um, uh, no, I'm afraid Joel Smith's a write-off for me. So reading between the lines, George, you think he's got a future? <laughs> <laughs> I I 
do think he has got a future and just not as a defender. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I totally get that he's not a natural footballer as a sort of – but I think defending's tough. Um, you know, it's not just sort of playing man-on-man man anymore in terms of, you know, it's that whole zone, knowing where it's coming in. I'd love – I just – I've said it all season. Play him up forward, give him a good run up forward and tell him just to go bananas. Use his leap, use his athleticism. He takes up a defender, go tackle, go crazy, you know, jump at the ball, you know, play free and just go for it. And still, you know, do your running up the ground and, um, you know, do your fair share of defensive work as well. But up forward, you know, it seems to me the more logical spot for him because he has to think less about the game. And, um, you know, then his um, strengths, his literal strength, his athleticism and his one-on-one strength can be a, a weapon rather than uh, up, up in the defensive half where he just seems to get lost. Yeah, I agree. I, I've I've always preferred or wanted him to play up forward. I believe Georgie might be able to back me up. Last preseason, not not this year's preseason, the one before, he was training the whole time as a forward. He got injured, I believe. Didn't did he? He didn't play the whole of last year. No, he played. He got injured in that the infamous game oh, against was, the Brisbane Lions, oh, was Brisbane, Casey, yes. wasn't it? Where he yeah. kicked okay. four, at, yeah. you know, he kicked four in one leg, off one leg. On one leg, yes, yeah. I've got my timelines uh, right now. Yep. So he that that season, that preseason, the whole preseason, he played. That's right. Uh, yeah. He trained as a forward to play as that third tall forward or the you know whatever where we yeah. you know, third yeah. third forward. They've now. This preseason, when we've got a full list available, so they could very well play him up there. They've decided to change him around as a backman. So in a season where we've down on forwards, where they must have known T Mac was a concern, and you know, it's like I just yeah, it's another one of the selection decisions this year that have just left me scratching my head. My hair's falling out. Yeah, and we've we've had sort of a, a pretty settled back six. Uh, I mean. And this is where I sometimes uh, get frustrated with Goodwin that he doesn't do in-game moves like that. Like we saw a couple where, you know, he put May down forward, whatever, but he's never taken Joel Smith and put him in the forward line. Um, it just frustrates me. I thought of you, Andy, in the dogs game when um, yeah, when they keep... Beveridge was moving every second player to a new position. <laughs> I was just about to say, and I think I actually there was, there was a we had a thread going for the dogs Dockers game, and I said it in the thread. Look, this is a coach that makes moves during games. Things you know they lose a play, he you know makes moves. That's all I want. Some moves. They don't always work, but I, I, say, I think I think Goodwin's just a bit stubborn that he just thinks it's going to work. That well, this is the way. This is the Melbourne brand. This is what we it's, do. It's going to work. It's, it's going to work. System, gonna work. He's a systems coach. Yeah, and Beveridge. We'll, we'll get it right at the next. Yeah, we'll, we'll reset. The, the next play will reset, and we'll get it right this time. But sometimes you need to make out of the box moves. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think this is so out of the box. Um, <laughs> Anyway, look, I'm not the coach, so what do what, what do I know? Um, Sam Wiedemann, um, he, he's had, he's had a shocking last couple of weeks of the season. He's barely made a dent on the scoreboard. Um, only had seven touches this week. Probably should have had a goal, uh, but gave it off to Hunt. Um, an argument can be made um, in in fairness to him that he's often up against two opponents. Um, and that at least he's bringing the ball to the ground, but but it's just not enough for me. Uh, hopefully next year with Luke Jackson back in the mix, uh, things will turn around because he I think he played his best footy 
with uh, Luke Jackson around, but um, I don't know. It's uh, been a disappointing end to the year because he had a couple of good weeks in the in the in the middle middle, getting two go- averaging two goals a game at one stage. Um, but yeah, the last few weeks have been a bit disappointing. Yeah, just, yeah, just enough, enough intensity, really. He does he does play with enough intensity. Yeah, he's, I, I, th- I think there's a couple of things um, that Sam's really missing at the moment. I think it was an interesting point, Andy, that you made where he played his best best footy this year when he had Jackson alongside him. Mm. I think he played his best, his best football when he had uh, Hogan alongside him in 2018 as well. Um, I, I don't think he's he's a full forward of a uh, that of the focus type that, that that you need. He's he's not of the same class as a Hawkins or a, um, a Cameron or a Charlie Dixon. He ha- he hasn't got that sort of killer instinct that those guys have. I'm always reminded of Hawkins in his first game when he played uh, against Melbourne. I think he kicked nine goals, and he probably would have kicked a dozen if the coach hadn't taken him off. But right from the very start, you know, you knew Hawkins was going to be one of those type of demanding full forwards. Um, even when Hogan was 17 and 18 years old, he was a demanding full forward. Um, you, knew, you knew what you were going to get from from those sort of players, and I'm afraid I haven't seen any of that from Sam. Um, I'd invite everybody to have a look at the. Um, they've got the all the goals up on the um, on the website, and have a look at um, uh, Jaden Hunt's first goal and his last goal. Um, in both of those situations, um, Hunt was basically running into an open goal. You know, he's well inside fifty, and Sam Wiedemann's running back into the goal square with his opponent. If that was Tom Hawkins, Tom Hawkins would have been heading straight in the opposite direction to create another option and putting a second, you know, second thoughts into the um, defender's mind. But Sam was just—he just doesn't have that full forwards um, now to be able to position himself on the right on the right side or to move move to the position where you could probably get a you know an easy hand pass or a or a kick when you're 15 meters out in front but when you're running into the goal square all you got to do is see the ball go over your head and hopefully it does um, but he just doesn't have that that killer instinct that bin, uh, bin man was talking about as far as, uh, the, as far as I'm concerned either so I don't know that we're going to see um, the best of Sam Wiedemann. Well, is this a is this a coaching thing? Uh, I'm, I'm, as in even our assistant coaching. Who who's the forward coach? Uh, I mean, it's the thing that it's a bit. Sam, I saw him play a practice game when um, I think it must have been in his first season at, when the at um, Collingwood's ground, and he looked great. Like he he led hard. He um, he he looked a natural forward. It, it just seems that. He also jumped well into the air and took the, um, you know, took some good pack marks. But he, he just seems to have dropped away a bit. I, I mean, maybe the coaching plays a role. I don't know, but he just, you know, he doesn't seem to use his body well in the air. You don't have to be super strong, like um, as I was saying with Fritch. Fritch uses his body beautifully, and Weeds doesn't seem to have that same naturalness about using his body. And as George says, sort of not always running to the right spot. And the other thing at the moment is, you know, I look at Oscar Allen. He really clunks his marks, and he must be only twenty-one. And you know, mm-hmm. he just rips down those contested marks. And I'm struggling to think, you know, when's all season been waiting for Weed to take one of those big um, pack marks? And you think, well, you know, the next one day he'll rip it apart. But I'm, the games are starting to sort of 
stretched into the distance in terms of him not taking those marks like, a, you know, Charlie Dixon. He's obviously, but he's 24, 25 next year. Um, as I said, Oscar Allen rips those balls down and, you know, you, they were super important now, those contested marks, because they're, they're like um, gold, aren't they? They're hard to get. Um, and um, I think that's something that Gorn has done so well this year. He's taken his game to another level, Gorn. I've been super impressed with the way he's done it and really on the back of his contested marking, he's unbelievable in there. Oh, we've seen it against us. Who was that? Uh, Port Adelaide, that that uh, young young forward was clunking marks in his, in his first year, in the first couple of games. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. A positive note on the forwards. I thought um, Cosie played his just about his best game for the club. He, he looked fantastic. Um, he looked like he'd sort of settled a bit. His tackling and intensity was everything that say Melksham's hasn't been, um, and he did a an absolutely beautiful play to set up um, a goal to Hunt. Um, I'm sure it was Hunt that he kicked it to where the commentators mentioned it at the time, but he sort of didn't take possession of the ball um, and sort of waited a bit so he didn't get tackled and um, tapped it forward. But what was really nice, and again, it's one of those things that so few players seem to have it, the ability at the D's, and it drives me spare, is when he did collect, he kicked on his left, which was nice, but he... He paused and he just waited it into space so Hunt could move to the ball rather than sort of kick it too high or put it to his right. He just waited it with the outside of his foot, which allowed Hunt just to move across. It was such a small thing but a really clever, um, you know, use of the ball and it just showed to me he's a nat- he is a natural footballer, uh, like a complete natural one like Smith, for instance. Um, and, you know, I just think that he, with another preseason under his belt and, um, you know, some encouragement to, to go for those goals, he's going to be something special for the Ds, and I, I really am looking forward to seeing him live next year. Speaking of weighted kicks, how, how was Petrarca's uh, kick to, to Spargo for that? Uh, it was ended up with Hunt, and that was the one where Wiedemann handballed it after Spargo, but that kick by Petrarca was just an absolute beauty. Oh, wasn't it? And it was his second best kick of the night. The goal <laughs> he kicked was yeah. he flushed that ball. <laughs> while, we, while we're doing shout-outs, I think we mustn't forget um, uh, Rivers as well. Um, once again, I think this uh, for the second week in a row, he basically mm-hmm. saved the game for us um, with, I think it was less than just less than two minutes to go. Um, there was seven points of difference and it was Rivers who um, uh, tackled Guelphie in the middle of the ground. The ball bounced out to Melcham and Melcham then nailed it off to Fritsch uh, for his first of two goals in that last two minutes. But once again, Rivers Rivers did the tackle that we had to had to. Mm-hmm. Um, nail and he nailed it beautifully and this is a first year kid he's he's fantastic another great great pickup yeah and I, and I think that that was um, in some ways they corrected or righted a lot a righted a lot of wrongs last year with their uh, recruiting because I've been critical of their focus on those contested ball players like uh, Jordan which of course I hope he makes it and um, uh, even a swallow or so Sparrow, the bird, Sparrow, one of those birds, um, with three point of difference players um, in uh, Jackson, Cozzy, and uh, Rivers. Um, Pat's, I mean, he's not a contested player, but he's he's quick. Um, he's a, a neat 
uh, kick, but I really like his attitude to the game. He's got a, um, you know, he enjoys it. Um, he, he, he's got a real strong will, will to win. Um, so I think they're, they're three really good selections. Um, and I, I wonder a little bit just from that um, pre-season footage of Taylor uh, convincing, uh, I think they're at Goodwin's home maybe or at Holiday Home or something, showing footage of Cozzy. Um, I wonder whether he's been a bit hamstrung by who he can choose, and he um, and I think they might be Taylor's. Um, you know, finally got sort of convinced the powers that be to. You know, we need to we need to add some X factor to this footy club, otherwise we're um, you know we're going to get vanilla city for the next few years. And so yeah, all three of them are um, uh, going to be great players for the days and add something really different. Um, and not least of which, their energy. All of them have got really positive up and about energy, which um, I think is super important and has been important at different times this year. Yeah, couldn't agree with, with you more. Um, let's talk about that last quarter, um, you know, with a season on the line. Um, how did we let Essendon get within uh, seven points and, and have a sniff? Uh, we, uh, we, well, we were 28 points up at halftime and we're looking at winning by, you know, eight to ten goals. Uh uh, we we just seem to fall asleep at, at various various times during matches, week in week out. So teams get a roll on against us, and we just cannot stem the flow of of consecutive goals. Um, can either of you guys uh, work out what's going wrong? Um, how can we fix this? It simply cannot happen next year if we want to be a contender. If we want to make finals, we want to be up there. We want to win a premiership. We can't let this happen, and it was—it's been a factor of our game for a long time. Uh, uh, George, you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the man with the answer. Suddenly, um, I've been watching this for the last couple of years, haven't I? Um, The—I um, I don't think it was just that last quarter fade out. Uh, it, it's this continually re- recurring theme of fade outs when um, uh, we th- we think we've got it all sewn up. Um, even in this game against Essendon in the first quarter and in the third quarter, at the end of the third quarter, um, we gave up goals again in that last minute of the quarter. Um, in the second quarter, just before half time, the ball was bouncing around the Essendon forward line for about the last minute and a half, and we could have easily given up another goal there. We were leading, you know, we had the game well and truly in our hands each time, and we've handed it back to, back to them with this just lack of concentration and um, all those goings on that we saw um, at the three-quarter time huddle only served to you know reinforce that view. You, you've just got to be focused for the whole time. It used to be 100 minutes for the game, whatever it is these days, but you've just got to be focused while you're out there. You, you just don't say, oh, we're, we're 28 points up. We can um, now take a little rest and... and um, uh, you just give any side the opportunity to to come back, and they certainly will. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, it, it's certainly in the head. Um, you've got to develop an attitude with a certain number of players in the side that they they never give up. I'm, it's promising when you do see players like Rivers and May um, and a couple of others who just don't give up no matter what. They go down fighting um we need those sort of players spread throughout the whole side but um yeah there's a there's a recurring theme that we're seeing here all too often it's interesting in the if you use the lens of those comments from goodwin about um your club needs to be more ruthless yeah. for me that's 
that's where on field lack of ruthlessness um, really comes to the fore because the best teams, when you've got another team in any circumstance by the cost, you, you just kick away, don't you? You kick your 50, 60 points away. You smash them. Um, I mean, and to be fair, we have done a couple of times this season, but it's when we put on top. That was in the last last quarter. Those those two games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So as I say, so it's when we've got on top late, and the other teams folded up like a you know cheap table. Um, So we needed to be. uh, I was, as I said, a back Melbourne um, over thirty nine, and I put on the uh, game day thread that you know we should easily run away, no problems with um, making that um, line. Unless we showboat and take the foot off the um, the accelerator, and that's exactly what we did. We didn't take our chances. We you know, that goal that you're talking about, George, where they scored um, in the last 30 seconds was so frustrating. <laughs> One because I was um, conscious of that line bet. Um, two because it's the D's. But it wasn't just that we gave up a goal late. We had a chance to score a goal, and it was down our forward line, and we piss farted around with it and, um, you know, the best club score a goal in that circumstance and go in with a seven-goal lead rather than give up a goal um, and go in with a 30-point lead. It was, you know, that 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 a ruthless club has, as you say, George, players right through at everything that win every contest. There's no half contest. There's no, well, I'm just about to have my break at halftime. Um, every contest is a, um, a binary thing. You're, you're either a winner in that contest or you're a loser. Um, and we need to have players who just want to win every contest right to the um, from the first siren to the end. Um, there was an incident that was captured on TV at three-quarter time. Uh, if you haven't seen the vision, uh, here's a quick recap. Uh, Hunt, uh, uh, Jaden Hunt squeezes Petraka's bum. Uh, Petraka reaches around, grabs Hunt's hand and places it back onto his bum for another squeeze. They break off from the huddle laughing. Um, now, the inappropriate touching has been in the headlines all year this year. Uh, we've seen this issue be scrutinised by the media. The AFL have denounced this type of locker room behaviour as being unacceptable. Uh, the clubs, no doubt, have warned their players against uh, this uh, um, you know, consensual or non-consensual, it's a terrible look and and needs to be called out. Uh, for mine, uh, what got me just as upset, uh, because look, that stuff, you know, that's it, it, we're well past that in, in this modern day. Uh, and this, what upset me, and it hasn't really been called out uh, by the media, uh, is that we had two players who were piss farting around during the coach's address at three-quarter time before arguably our most important quarter of the season. You know, sure, we had a healthy lead and and looked like we were going to cruise to victory. Uh, but as we've pointed out many times on this podcast, and we just talked about it now, we have this habit of going to sleep and not being switched on and go on to concede multiple goals. And, and this is the exact thing that happened after three-quarter time. Uh, after these guys did this, and now you can argue that you know that Petraka and, and Hunt played okay after that, uh, but but this behaviour it also shows a lack of respect for the coach and for their teammates. You know, when finals are on the line, we, we nearly lost this game. We, we were seven points. Up. They could have easily have gone. On. They had the run on. They could have won. And perhaps I'm making too much out of it. You know, a storm in a teacup, but but it's not a good look for for so many reasons and as a supporter I don't want to see players not being 100% focused you know on what uh, you know going into the game and you know you know they can fuck around all they want at the end of the game behind closed doors whatever but and 
now they've got plenty of time to do that. They've got six months or whatever until the season starts. But with the with the game on the line, you you got to be focused. And I, I thought I saw it at the time, and I thought that's a terrible look. Um, this is not what I want to see. I want them to be focused, listening to the coach, and going out there and doing the job. Um, <laughs> big man. Yeah. Um. For me, I'm a little less concerned about the the inappropriate touching. Though the thread title made me laugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, well, oh, I will say the thread title was actually a lot worse before I changed it. But I mentioned that on there. I didn't see the and I didn't see it at three quarter time. I just saw it on Demonland. The um, title for what the hell is that about? <laughs> touching. Um, and then there's another one on the on the site today. Urinating in. It's like, well, what's happening to Demonland? Um, my concern in hindsight, because I didn't see it at the time, was what the, exactly is he saying? What, what are they doing? What, their head's not in the game. And then we ended up throwing away a match. Yeah. So what would have happened if we'd lost that game? All hell would have broken loose. Oh. Yeah, I mean, if we'd lost that game of footy after being 30, what, 34 points up at our highest, um, our biggest lead, if we'd lost that game of footy, who knows, that might have been the end of Goodwin. Um, that would have just been like you'd lose the Frio, the Swans of the Frio game. You know, that's bad. Lose this game after being 34 points up and you've got two fellas having a grand old laugh at three-quarter time when they should be listening to the coach. Um, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's, it was a bad look. I mean, it goes to exactly what we were just talking about. The, the footy's all about momentum, isn't it? It always has been. And you lose it, it's very hard to get back. Um, so on that, I think that there's two things, is that leadership plays a big factor in stopping momentum. And leadership isn't just what you do, you know, it, during the quarter. It's focus on your coach and that sort of rubbish. Um, they just look like a couple of private school boys who thought, well, we're six goals up here, we're smashing, we're, you know, this is all done and dusted. So, um, And as you say, we ended up getting to as close as seven points. So the, the whole focus would have been completely different if we'd fail, if we'd lost that game. Um, it wouldn't have been about the touching. It would have been about this club's a joke and we would have brought it on ourselves. Can't add more much more to, than that, than what both of you have said. Um, it's just this lack of ruthlessness and professionalism that, that annoys me. You, know, um, you wouldn't have seen that anything remotely like that from, a, say, a Patrick Dangerfield or a Dustin Martin. They're just focused on winning the game and winning it by as much as possible and completely destroying their opponents. They're out to win. Our guys seem to be out to just have a good time in a game. Um, you've got to ha- change the focus completely at this level of, of sport. You are out there to win no matter what the costs and doing these sort of ridiculous uh, things is just simply beyond me at least. So. And, and there's a theory that I've heard um, a number of times over the years from um, a number of people, but coaches, that um, teams play their first quarter uh, much in the same um, way that they did their last quarter of footy. Um, that So there's an emphasis on even if you're having a bad game, finish off that last quarter well so the next week that, you you know, that's what you flow into. And so if we had made the finals, that would have been our, our previous quarter heading into the finals, a, a quarter where, the you know, a team that was a rabble, they – I mean, it was a joke that we weren't 10 goals up at halftime. They were letting us run the ball down. They weren't even wanting to um, tackle us. Um, and that's how it felt at three-quarter time, as if this was a sort of bit of a lark. 
what sort of preparation um, for a, um, a cutthroat game in Perth would have that been? If um, you know, having letting the Bombers get back within seven points. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm totally on board with what you're saying, Andy. Um, then the next uh, incident um, happened, sort of uh, not at the game, uh, Harley. Bennell, um, and this one's really disappointing. Uh, according to reports in the Herald Sun, Harley went for a drink on Friday night in the club's resort, which is permitted, uh, but then left the hub to visit a friend on Saturday, uh, which was the clear breach uh, of the COVID rules. Uh, apparently, he left the hub to swap a vehicle and secure a car seat for his daughter. He ran out of petrol on the trip and was found by police who drove him to the petrol station to fill up. And he was breath tested by police and they believe he, he was under the the limits. Uh, I think it's come out now that he also went to ex-teammate uh, Jared Harbrow's house and uh, he didn't let him, let him in for, for whatever reason. But anyway, he's ended up being outside the hub and uh, not being allowed back in. Um, I think from what I've heard is that someone one of his friends that he went visited actually reported him and that's what that's what I've read uh, and then Melbourne have self-reported to the club. But the, the end result is um, the Ds have been fined $50,000, which given everything that's happened this year financially with COVID is the last thing we can afford and I, um, I assume that some of that is suspended because that's what's happened with, um, no, with some no. of the other clubs. Sorry, George? No, it's not. It's not it's what we have to pay that 50000 when other teams only had to pay half of that. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, because this is our second uh, oh, case. Yes. Yeah, so, and, and, and the, uh, the, you, know, you, you continue on. I'll give some other background. In yeah, there. so yeah. Uh, Benel's also been suspended uh, uh, for four matches. Um, look, apparently from the talk, and I don't know how true this is, the club was keen to keep him in the red and blue next season, but... Uh, the prospect of a contract extension might be unlikely now. I don't know. Can you, uh, George? You can you can take the the next one. You can add to that. Uh, but can you also can you see the club keeping Benel on now, given uh, what's transpired? Not whether you think he should. Keep, or you can also say whether you think he should stay on, because I, I'd like to see him stay on. But uh, after this, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, a great big slap in the face to the club that. Uh, took him on from you know obscurity and, and sort of a, a finished career and took a chance with him and invested in him. Um, it's no small amount of time and effort that has gone into getting him at least up to the five uh, five games that he played this year. So, yeah, it, it was a not not only particularly stupid, it was insulting to to the club and no doubt uh, people who have been supporting him all along that. Double whack to the club is uh, the fifty thousand dollar fine um, doesn't probably need to be paid in dollar terms, in the sense that the uh, it comes off the um, soft calorie soft salary cap for next year, so um, we won't be able to afford to buy to um, pay out to pay for say a part time physio or a part time coach. So it's going to affect us for the whole of next year as well. It's not just this one-off event where you can throw fifty grand away down the river. Um, that's that's the really disappointing part. Um, as to whether he stays around, um, there's plenty of discussion on Demon Land about it. Um, uh, it's going to come down to the football department's assessment, I think, about whether he's going to add value to us next year. If if there are if there are rookie um, uh, positions available on the list. I wouldn't be offering him any more than that for for the coming year. 
um, simply that because that'll be a way of paying back the $50,000 deficit that the club's uh, been forced to take on as a result of his stupidity. Um, So it'll be be an interesting scenario, but... um, I, I just don't know what to, what's going to happen. I don't know what the football club's assessment of his capabilities are. Big man? Yeah, look, I, I don't... I'd hold my sort of commentary personally for, for me in terms of, of what I... Um, you know, I don't know the circumstances and, you know, it's possible there's uh, dramas going on. I'm guessing he's not in a great headspace. Um, it's a bit of a concern. He's got his... Um, partner or his wife and um, his little kid up there in the hub, uh, as I understand it, and he's out and I'm not sure what the deal is, whether they're going to leave, but, like, you know, they're probably thinking we're in a hotel, where are we going to go? And he's, I, my understanding is he's been told he has to leave the um, state as soon as possible. Yeah. But, um, That's what I heard, yeah. Yeah, Sam Ebben in that clip that was on SEN um, suggesting that he's, that he's not responding to the club's contact. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, like, it might get worse in terms of that um so that suggests to me that it maybe something's happened or he's not in a great headspace so that would be my number one you know sort of concern i guess is let's see what the full story is um and you know i think that yeah it's definitely disappointing it's you know for all the reasons george said um i'll i'll hold my fire in terms of hearing the full context um, whether he plays on, um, I, I hope he does. Um, but, you know, I also agree with George and you, Andy, in terms of the it's a football decision. If they think that he's got a good year in him, well, you know, I think that um, I think I'd love to see him play on. I'd be really disappointed. Leaving the COVID stuff aside, I'd be really disappointed if he's not at the footy club next year because he's exactly um, his, his talent and ability is exactly what we need. And, um, and again, you know, taking it back to Melksham, I, there's no question that he got dropped after that Adelaide game because he wasn't uh, physical enough. Um, but nor has Melksham been. So that, that, that's what creates problems at a um, footy club when, you know, one player gets treated differently to another. Um, yep. Bulldogs-Dockers game. <laughs> I believe, I'm, I'm assuming both of you, Watch that with as much intensity as you watch a, a D's game. Uh, it rounded out the trifecta of bad, uh, bad news and bad publicity for the for the D's. Um, and uh, I thought at times the the Dockers played very very Melbourne like. Uh, <laughs> well, I was frustrated as much as I am for a D's game with with some of their plays, some of their forward fifty entries, and some of the turnovers that uh, were kicked straight straight down the throat of Bulldogs players. Uh, yeah, was was frustrating to watch, and I sort of gave up sort of early on in the last quarter. I turned it off. I'd had enough. Um, <laughs> I watched it to the very end because I was it was just like a D's match. You can't leave. So, <laughs> no, I could. I could leave that one. <laughs> when Watching. I thought I was in some Netflix sci-fi sort of alternate reality um, um, movie when uh, Hogan lined up and I thought to myself, there's no way he's going to kick this. And sure enough, he shanks it to the <laughs> It's like if he's a Melbourne player in a purple jumper. Yeah, it was a painful game to watch and it was a funny emotion too because it was sort of, especially in the second quarter, it was eking away and they were, you know, the game was drifting away and they were lucky to be 
I think they were what only twelve points down at half time. Yeah, they got to three three goals down, but then uh, they got a goal on the uh, right near the end of uh, at, at half time. Yeah, and they were just running on the spot. And again, like I said at the beginning, at the um, you know the Bulldogs weren't playing great in that first half, but they executed. They executed under pressure. Um, they did the things that they needed to do. Um, they've got some players that I really just think are fantastic footballers. Um, I'm glad they commentators um, gave a shout-out to um, Liberatore because just like he was against us, he was fantastic in that game. And, you know, there's a player who says, I'm going to show some leadership, I'm going to tackle, I'm going to get the ball, I'm going to um, kick it. Um, you know, to advantage, I'm going to do the things my team needs me to do, sacrifice um, my game if I need to. Uh, and uh, Daniels as well plays similar, but I just think he's the best kick in the league, Daniels. He barely misses a target. Um, and, you know, the Bontempelli, he didn't have much impact, I didn't think, but what he does do when he does it, he, he executes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that executing, not missing those targets makes such a big difference. It was interesting watching two teams play to... Um their technique, wasn't it, that um, mm. uh, they had a particular style that they wanted to impose on the games and, and the Bulldogs eventually imposed theirs more than what the Dockers did. Uh, and I think the Dockers um, would have had more success if they had players firstly available. They were missing half their back line. Um, and and they were miss, missing their full, half their forward half line. Half their forward line as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was interesting because, uh, you know, uh, uh, Longmuir is coaching these uh, his, his group of players um, to work to a system, yeah. and and it and it certainly was successful in the you know certainly the first quarter and maybe up to about half time, but the the Bulldogs showed exactly what ruthlessness is all about. You know, even though they were down at times, they weren't playing well. They just kept on doing. They kept on working. They worked to work the ball to the outside, which is where they love to have the ball. And as, as Bin Man said, gee, they've got some deli- players capable of delivering the ball just magnificently. You, you do wonder how Daniel, the size that he is, just doesn't get pummeled every week, but he just moves away at, at the right time. Um, his kicking is just absolutely first class. Um, yeah, and um, when you can afford to have a, a player like Bontempelli, probably only put put in one quarter that was really outstanding and the rest of it was was um, pretty um, ordinary in, in that sense. But uh, when you can afford to have a player like that not playing his best and still um, completely dominate the whole game as a team rather than just individuals, um, they'll, they'll go a long way again this year. Um, that style of play will, will always succeed more often than not. And they've got, I mean, we'll talk about it a bit later in terms of who we should be targeting in the trade, but um, they have got excellent kicks right across the board and they have targeted excellent kicks. They've made it a uh, recruiting emphasis to go after players with a, um, um, you know, average, above average to elite kicks. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's their number one thing that they've looked for because as we talked about a few weeks back, you, you can... You know, teach a player to be more competitive or, um, you know, be more contested, but you can't teach a, an AFL player to be much better than a kick if they're coming average. And um, where I think you're so right, George, in terms of it was fascinating to watch two different styles. Uh, Longview was very much like um, um, 
Goodwin in the sense he's a systems coach. He, he's got a system. He's drilling his team into uh, understanding that system and believing in the system, knowing where everyone's role is in, in that system. Um, and dogs have got another one, but it's a bit more fluid and a bit more um, you know, like a not quite so robotic almost. Um, and that sort of battle between the two ways of playing and, um, you know, try, the dogs trying to get it on their terms, um, and they eventually did. And it, uh, for me, there was a moment in t- point in the match where that actually happened, where they went through the centre, and I forget who kicked it. It might have been Richards even, or um, where they went. They finally got a goal after a sustained period of pressure, and it was a sort of more direct up the corridor, but it was the first kick um, that they cut into the centre and hit that target and then released up forward. Um, and you, you need skill to hit that target uh, and you need that drilled for everyone, you know, being in their right spot. And we simply don't have enough players who can do that. Um, so, in this, you know, uh, without um, skipping forward, but we really need to target that sort of skill by foot. Um, Beverage has been terrific in that sense. Um, you know, they've got right across the board, they've got really good kicks. The other thing I really like about the Bulldogs is across the board, their willingness to run. Mm. And uh, you look at Lockie Hunter, he just seems to be in uh, every spot on the ground. Right, he's like Uh, Langdon, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And we've got one of Langdon. Well, they seem to have half a dozen um, who who are just relentless. And when they get the ball, they move move the ball as as a team um, by simply running and providing options and, and moving up the ground. It's fantastic to watch. It's it's um, very similar to what Richmond do. Um, and, you know, we're talking about two teams that have won uh, premierships in the last couple of years. Um, you know, maybe that's, that's the style that we've got to start following, getting more of these committed runners and people who are prepared to put in for 100% of the time. But, I mean, what the Dogs and the Tigers have got that we've got is that sort of ability to get contested ball winners, you know, cont- football contest out players, but they marry it with that, uh, as you say, that hard running, um, but also foot skills. I think it's really underestimated how skillful Richmond are, for instance. Um, they've got a lot of high quality kicks um, and modern footy, you, you just need it because even if you're not using it as an offensive weapon, you need it to be able to pick your way through um, a zone. You need to be hitting your 80% of those easy kicks, not 60% because that gap is where you give up the two or three goal differentials. So, um, yeah, they've got a lot going for them, haven't they? And, and in beverage, they've got a coach who is everything in some respects that Goodwin isn't. He's creative and um, willing to try things and, uh, you know, wears his heart on his sleeves. Um, uh, so, yeah, they're, they're, you, know, you hope that they go far now that they've knocked us out. Well, the end result of that match was uh, us not obviously not making the finals. Um, nothing went right for us uh, this week besides us actually winning the game. But uh, having said all that, uh, was the season? It, it's obviously it's a silly question. I'm not going to ask you uh, whether this season's a, a success because clearly not making finals is a failure. So where to from here? The club. Uh, made a big statement last year saying, um, you know, finals, uh, that's where they want to be and we didn't make it. So uh, wh- where to from here? Obviously, I, I don't believe they're going to pull the pull the pin on the coach. Uh, he'll be, co- I think Goodwin will be coaching next year. So what do we do? Um, the, obviously, there's issues with... But for me, I would like to see 
some some changes in the assistant coaching um, at the club, but is there going to be the money for that? Where to, uh, George? <laughs> what can we do? <laughs> what can we do? Here's the answer again. Um, oh, um, <laughs> no pressure. So, no pressure. <laughs> we get more players in who can play football is the first thing. Um, uh, since you can't catch, uh, sack the coach, that's about all you can do. Um, yeah, look, it, it, it's difficult. At, at the end of the day, we, like I said, I think we finished up about where we honestly should have been. Mm. Um, we we weren't in the same league as, as a Geelong or a Richmond or um, any, any or even the Brisbane at the moment. We just we're just not within. We might have got close in the game in the games that we played against them, uh, but. Um, it's it's that lack of ruthlessness. You know, you look at the way Geelong dispose of lower lower ranked sides, and we struggle to get get over the line against them. Um, at the end of the season, your percentage becomes critical. Um, we wouldn't have had that problem. Um, worried about the St Kilda game if we'd uh, done better during the season. Um, we did, we're obviously better positioned than what we were at the end of last year, but last year was. Um, basically an injury uh, depleted season so you can almost write that off but where are we after finishing in the finals in 2018 compared to today we've obviously dropped off although we once again even in 2018 we, we got over the line in the end but it was a real struggle again we, we're just not there there yet um, what I hope is that um, we pick up our, or trade well, I don't think we're going to finish up uh, with with uh, enough draft picks to be picking at the top end again, uh, particularly in a, a highly compromised draft. But I think we need to trade heavily, as, say, St Kilda did last year, to get in those three, four players that um, will make the difference uh, to the side. Um, we need to elevate ourselves from that, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten position that we seem to be honestly stuck at at the moment. It's a very dangerous position because you don't get the good draft picks and you you don't get to play the finals as well. And um, the supporters are, are you know, really searching for some success at last. We can't afford to keep sitting for year after year where we are. And the other thing that we've got to keep at the back of the mind is um, you know, Jack, Jack Vine is 26 now. What happens with him, we don't know. A lot of conjecture going on. But so are our basic um, core group, you know, sitting between that 24, 25, 26 range. We don't want to be wasting the time um, trying to get players into the side for the next three years. We'll suddenly find that those those talented players that we do have are at the wrong end of 20. Um, and we don't have enough coming through at the other end. So we need to be really really working hard, I think, at the trade table this year. Well, we're going to have to be ruthless because we, we might have to, to give up some names that uh, people might not be comfortable giving up, um, either to improve our draft or, or to trade for for other talent. Mm. The, um, for me, the the season, like it's easy to focus on the um, Frio game and the Swans game and obviously if we win one of those games, we make finals. So... Um, well, it's actually not that obvious because we might then have lost to the Giants, who knows? So um, you don't know how things happen. 
But the obvious one is to focus on those two games and the question mark about well, you know, what was going on with selection in that period of time with 20 changes over four games. You know, what was happening? There's something going on there. The exact time of the year that you want to have as consistent a um, selection policy and team as possible. Um, you know, we're chopping and changing all over the place um, and we played as like a team that lacked cohesion. Um, so... Those those games will live long in all D's fans' memories as the ones that got away. But really, the you know it's a bit like you know if you, those missed goals in a first quarter. If you use that analogy, is you don't think of them, you miss you think about the missed goals in the last mm-hmm. quarter. Um, but the loss uh, against the Tigers, the loss against the um, the Cats, they're the ones that really stick in my craw. Uh, both of those games were just horrible. We should have won both of those games, and even the arguably perhaps less so, but the Brisbane game. So there's three games against top five, top maybe other top four. Yeah, three, three of the top four teams um, we should have beaten um, and certainly two of them um, we could have. You know, I think back to Tomlinson not balancing up for that shot against Richmond. Um, so, you know, I think that they were real. They, they were the heartbreakers um, as much as the um, – and more so perhaps – we win, you know, one of those games, and we make it. So, uh, I think they'll they'll I'll reflect back on those ones. I think, you know, on a more positive note, what well, we won nine games, so that's over fifty percent um, in a normal home and away season. Twelve wins is going to get you into the finals most year. It wouldn't be too many teams finishing with a percentage of one hundred and five, hundred and six, whatever it was we finished on outside the eight. So um, that's another positive, and you know, without wanting to. You know, to fall on excuses, and I know people hate excuses, and um, and you know me too in terms of I've seen enough non-finals appearances over the years, um, but we have had a terrible year in terms of you know the the draw we played. We did we started the year with a brilliant draw. We ended it with playing all over the country, playing it with no benefit at all, playing each team once. Something that I like actually, um, but you know we we. At one stage, we played seven of eight games at different venues and f- I think four different states in that period. Um, something was not quite right in Cairns. I, I reckon you'll find that there's um, that uh, Viney will go and I wonder whether there's some sort of rumblings in the team. That's just my, I have no, ins- no inside intel at all. Uh, it's just my gut feel. Um, and so, you know, who knows, the whole COVID situation and the hub thing is an extreme situation. The other factor I think that's been um, overlooked quite a lot is our game plan um, is built for full 20-minute quarters, not the 16-minute quarters, because we're a red-time t- um, goal, uh, sorry, we're a red uh, red time team um, where we take full benefit of our contested um, style of footy and our our at the man um, style in that last two, three minutes of each quarter. Um, that's where we tend to, to do best. Um, so I think that was another big disadvantage for us this season. So, um, you know, in some respects there's some positives not making it because they can now all get uh, half cut up in Queensland for, <laughs> and, and get on the piss and make the news and, you know, let's hope that doesn't happen. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned, uh, the you know, the – the shortened year, the the teams we would have played twice this year, Fremantle, St Kilda, Sydney, Carlton and Gold Coast. Um, given how we went against Sydney and Fremantle, we might not have beaten them again. St Kilda, the, the, uh, they've been playing well this year. 
might not have beaten them the second time. And Carlton are just one of those teams that always take us to the line and, yeah, might have beaten the Gold Coast again. So who knows? And <laughs> next year it. we get what? We get the benefit of finishing ninth, which is not much benefit at all. So, yeah. Well, look, we don't know. They might only do – I know they don't want to do 17 next year, do they? 18 rounds next year they want <laughs> – I saw one report they want They want to do like 50 games yeah, or something. Yeah, they'll, they'll double it, not half it. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, uh, we'll move on there. A few good uh, few good things. Um, uh, we in their club announced uh, that they re-signed um, Jaguar uh, for season 2021. That's on the back of also uh, re-signing the other co-principal partner, Zurich, for 2021. That's, that's good news uh, given the financial situation um, to, to, to re-up those uh, sponsorships. Uh, is very important and, um, yeah, well done to the club for being able to secure that, especially after such a crappy year and, uh, yep, uh, I'm happy with that. Um, it's crit- it is critical, isn't it, that um, in this year that uh, we've signed up Zurich and Jaguar again, um, you know, money's, money's going to be tight coming, uh, particularly in the coming months. Um, we don't need to be... Um, as probably some clubs will find themselves in the situation of going into January, uh, perhaps without major sponsors. Um, this this just adds surety to the club off-field. And when we uh, combine that with the um, situation that uh, the club supporters have, have chipped in money to be able to um, avoid the AFL assistance uh, situation, um, the off, off-field side of things is, is doing... Um, as, as well as can be possibly expected given the current circumstances. So, um, yeah, big, big shout out to be able to achieve that. Um, the other thing, the other positive is that uh, we might get a, a few players in the All-Australian team that's going to be announced in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, uh, who, who can we expect to get a look in? Surely Petrarca. Um, uh I think Gorn might even get uh, the ruck position. Percent uh, will if he has to. Yeah. Like who else uh, would get it? I mean, yeah, Grundy's had a disappointing year. Yeah. Goldie's sort of fallen away. I think he has to. The the I'd love to see. I don't think May. Well, I've said this a few times. I don't think he'll get in the final team, but I'm really hoping he gets in the squad. Definitely deserves it. Another player I'd love to get into the squad is Langdon. Um, I think he's been superb on the wing all year and it'd be nice for him to get into the squad. I don't think he'd get into the final team. Um, you'd hope, you'd, you'd really hope that Oliver does because in, in, I'm probably guilty of it as well of underestimating how well he plays week in, week out, yeah. Oliver. Yeah, we don't talk a lot about him on the on the podcast. Yeah. Just because he does those Oliver things. Um, he's, I mean, part of it is his kicking he lets him down a, a fair bit. He's been so much better as we've talked about getting distance and getting metres, but then, you know, he lets himself down with his kicking. But um, so does Dangerfield, for instance. Dangerfield's a shocking set shot. And um, so you hope with his numbers, like I was really amazed at the stats you read out earlier on at the beginning of the show, Andy, in terms of, is that second in the league for contested possessions? He, first first and second for, for for Oliver and Petrarca. Oliver number one for contested possessions in the league. Just yeah. That's amazing. So, you know, you'd, he, that's got to put him in contention. Um, uh, he's had a better year than, than when he made it um, his other All-Australian. His first All Australian. 
Um, you know, and I reckon um, May is a good chance because he's finished the season super strong. He's played well in big games. Um, I haven't really watched um, Brisbane enough to know how well Andrew's been travelling, but um, May's got a lot of love in the, the last few weeks of how he played in big games. It'll, it'll be a fair competition between May and Harris Andrews, but mm. uh, Andrews um, uh, is injured and has been for the last couple of weeks, so that might work in May's favour. Um, but but knowing the way the All-Australian uh, stuff is put together, you might find both of them in there um, in the back line in some way, shape or form, because they, that, those two players are really the standouts in terms of backs for the season. I, I, I don't know that... There's too many others, um, you know, McGovern from Western, from uh, the Eagles might be in, but he's been injured uh, as well. Um, but, um, yeah, I, th- I think the way May's been playing and, and the media's been noting uh, the way May's been playing as well. So his name's out there. And you um, had another coach trolling you, Andy, with uh, May giving uh, Danaher a complete and utter bath and then... <laughs> <laughs> the game gets changed when Danaher gets moved, and cre- another creative move gets moved into the ruck. And so, yeah, he, he, started, he started playing well. So, <laughs> um, uh, the other thing we can probably look forward to is uh, Brownlow Knight. Uh, I don't think uh, Track will be able to uh, claw his way and, and beat Lockie Neal. He's been the standout, but it'd be nice uh, if Track can get a podium finish, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, I reckon he'll come third. Mm. I don't know why, but I just don't think he'll, he'll, he'll be he'll be up there. He'll I, be I up would there. say. And they're <laughs> they're announcing the All Australian on the same uh, in the same event, the virtual awards night. So um, the All Australian, I think the coaches award, although I think that that's known, isn't it? So uh, yeah, that's uh, week uh, to week. The uh, rising star, um, all on the all on the same night. I don't trust anything that uh, has input from umpires who can't see the the blinding obvious in the game. So um, I don't I don't know how well Trek will do. Regardless, the umpiring was so we've gone past the match. But yeah. it, it was terrible. I mean, I, th- I think we had five free kicks to nothing uh, in the first quarter. So I'm I'm happy with that. But they geez, they missed so many things. There was one Essendon supporters were crying on Twitter about. Uh, uh, one of the decisions, the track got uh, tackled and dropped the ball, and it was it was there, uh, and it was just play on, uh, and they were crying about that. But they, you know, that unrealistic attempt to mark um, that wasn't paid, and then I've seen since then I've seen two two of them uh, paid uh, since then um, yeah. <laughs> in other yeah. games. So uh, I don't know. We haven't got worry. time, Andy, to get going on the umpires. Uh, no, we, we, might not have, we won't have time for even for my rant against the commentators. Oh, well, you can go. <laughs> let's, let's go. Yeah, <laughs> you could let, go on. Uh, you can have your rant. Well, I'll do the short version. I just can't stand them anymore. I just can't. I've got to get back to a game of footy. Oh, when I watch them on the replay, I can stand them because I've already watched the game and I don't really care after that. But when um, you've got five, six, mainly men or all men, in the you know all ex football meatheads who are clueless and the the one that did my head in was the Saints Giants game on the Friday night and Brian Taylor was asking his fellow stupid commentators about why did the Giants keep kicking to the forward pocket and you know why are teams across the league just keep kicking to the forward pocket and you know Kerry said well 
you know, they like to get the stoppage and thinking, what are you talking about? They do it for a specific reason. It's probably data analytics tell them that, um, you know, that that's the way to go and that they score more often. It's, you know, stoppages is one aspect of it. But the problem is you kick to the top of the square, which was where they were saying that, that you know, even, you know, Kerry was saying kick it to the top of the square to give Cameron a chance there, is if you lose the ground ball um, uh, at that spot, you've got three lanes for the players to take it out, They've, um, and one of which is the corridor, so both wings in the corridor. If you turn it over there, you've... Yeah, a team like the Bulldogs is going to score, uh, have a scoring opportunity almost for sure. Um, you, you turn it over, um, a ground ball get in the pocket. You've got the boundary line handy in, like in basketball, George, where the boundary line's your friend. You know, it's, uh, you've got one less spot where they can run, so they're much more likely to trap it in there. And then that dump kick out of the defensive zone, you know, goes to your wall. Um, none of which can happen if you lose it in the corridor. So it just drives me nuts to just, you know, can't stand how uninformed and how unhelpful they are because if they'd explain that to, to football fans, they'd be less annoyed about why does Gorn kick that ball to the pocket because that's the percentage play. It's what the coaches are drilling into them because the stats and the data tell them that that's what works. And, you know, I just, I just cannot stand it and can't wait to get back to, the, um, to live games next year. The annoying thing is, particularly in that circumstance, I know in I was watching a game um, that was in Brisbane, I think Brisbane might have been playing, and Luke Hodge was commenting on exactly that question to Brian Taylor, and this is weeks and weeks ago, and the answer was the same. You're kicking there because of percentages, and he obviously didn't take that, didn't take that on, but you're right. You know, we've got five or six of these meatheads from who last played football 20 years ago in some cases, trying to work out what's going on on the field or trying to tell people what's going on in the field. Um, and it's only people like uh, Hodge and, and Daisy Pierce who are actually able to explain exactly what is going on today and why people are doing things. And it's yeah, and she's uh, brilliant. I, Daisy Pierce is totally brilliant and yeah. um, and actually provides some insight into the game. And the ridiculous thing is, like, uh, Kerry is not a caller. He was he. Um, Taylor's the caller in that circumstance, in that setup, and he was asking the special comments man, um, Kerry, who, who, as you say, played 20 years ago when you, you did kick to the top of the square and then Kerry one out, two out, three out could take his contested mark. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Kerry wouldn't take that mark and a defender would whisk it out of there and up the other end in 20 seconds and you'd concede a goal. It's it's just they add nothing to the understanding of the game. Uh, and how many people in a box do you need? You only need two people to call a game of footy, surely. <laughs> I told you not to get me started. At me. <laughs> changes, uh, big man's got big changes for uh, for footy uh, commentary in 2021. Uh, the last thing I just will, uh, want to bring up, because uh, probably won't, uh, well, I think maybe we'll do a show on uh, on our, on our individual players and 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 then after trade week as well. Uh, trade targets. Is there anyone realistic trade targets that that you want the D's to go after? Uh, George, I'll start with you. I've got one. Um, I I won't get involved in all the um, you know. Let's go and get Jeremy Caraman. Let's go and get. Uh, Hawkins or something like that, you're not going to get those sort of players short of a miraculous sort of thing and, and short of a, a danger field sort of situation where the player wants to go to the club. Um, I think the the most realistic one for us at the moment is Majacek, um at Collingwood. He's out of contract. Uh, Collingwood is struggling to um, uh, keep 
uh, their salary more, under more the salary cap. And they're trying to keep more and Dacos and I think Dagoe uh, as well. Um, Meyer checks exactly what we need up forward. Just he's similar to Brown, um, but he's he's twenty eight. He's he's at the right age. He's tough and he's hard. He came up through the um, you know from from Port Melbourne. I think he played that in the VFL. Um, he he just he's one of those players who performs every week and and is prepared to to really put in. Um, I think he's exactly what we need, um, and we could make the offer for him. Um, why, why would we have to give up? Um, I'm not sure. He's out of contract, um, yeah. so um, it, it'd be an interesting situation. Uh, you know, Collingwood are on the on the back foot with him. You know, what can they offer him? Is is their problem? Um, if we offer him basically more money, he comes across. Yeah, but I reckon there's a good chance we'll get him, George. I've just got that feeling um, because you, has our name been thrown out? Have we been? Have you seen our name there, or this is just someone that you want? No, there's no no, no media ever about Collingwood players leaving Collingwood. Yeah, I just yeah, I reckon for me, Andy, the one absolutely, and I think we'll get him. Uh, that's just my normal optimism. So, um, <laughs> so it's not going to happen. Uh, yeah. it's, um, sad. He's the one that we yeah. need. He's exactly the footballer we need. Um, you know, if sure you, he gets to Melbourne and you recognise, oh, I thought he was, you know, an elite kick and never misses a target. You know, of course he's going to miss his target and, uh, like he did in the game against us. But he's exactly what we need. He's a he's relatively quick. Um, he's aggressive in his kicking. Um, he can clear 50 metres. Like, he's very similar to Salem. And that, it was interesting after the game, there was a, um, a footage of them talking to each other. And I'm sure, because I'm an elite um, uh, lip reader, I'm sure what they were talking about is coming to the D's next year and, um, you know, how, um, how well, uh, famously, they'll get on um, on each, you know, like uh, yin and yang on the two halfback flanks. He's as good a kick as Salem, better, I think, because uh, he's more aggressive and he can kick 50, 60 metres, where Salem doesn't seem to want to kick over 30 metres. Um, so I, I think he's exactly what we need and um, I'd be willing to bet they're going to move heaven to earth and earth to get him. And the problem for your recruiting, um, one of the big problems for our recruiting strategy, and I blame Ruse for this as well as uh, Goodwin, is that if you don't um, draft in those sorts of players, you have to play overs for the um, um, for, to get them to your club. And if so, well, that's what we have to do. Um, the other ones is Williams. I'd, he'd be brilliant as well, but uh, he, he sounds like he's not coming to the D's, and he yeah, does sound like he's too expensive. Um, you know, it's seven, eight. Not they're talking nine hundred thousand, a million for a quick halfback flanker. He's an excellent player, but probably that's out of our um, price range for list balance and a whole range of other reasons. But I, I think Saad is definitely a player we should be targeting. I, I'd assume, I'm assuming they have uh, targeted him and um, I'm actually pretty confident we'll get him. What about you, Andy? Well, is Jeremy Cameron really off the table? <laughs> Can't we just give seven players for him? <laughs> Isn't that the Demon Lamb way where you package up seven players? And- yeah, Hunt, definitely Hunt. He's got a lot of future Hunt. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Saad was definitely the one I wanted Saad when uh, he was uh, mooted to come out of the Gold Coast. I, I, he was one of the guys I wanted. And, um, yeah, I'd, t- I'd take uh, my check def- definitely. Um, 
I think we just need someone else uh, up with with Wiedemann up in the forward line uh, and need someone. I mean, so much depends next year, and it did this year, on um, what happens with T-Mac. I, I think, you know, thinking about the season, just about the most significant issue for us was his um, form, whether it be injury, I, I'm positive it's injury-related, um, you just got to hope that he gets right again because, you know, we gave up, what, 40-odd goals with Hogan going, 40-odd goals with T-Mac. We haven't come close to replacing them. Um, Jackson will will play a role up there, but he's, you know, his role will be a bit different. Um, to, he was su- he's been such a critical um, player to not have in the team and for no other reason structurally. Like the sort of forward line was built around um, him being in that position. So, um, yeah, let's just hope he, he, he comes good and he would be like a boon recruit if he, if he does. Um, yeah. Anything else, boys? No, I think that's about it. us. <laughs> Season's over. Season's over. Season's over. <laughs> Another I'm one's sad. done and dusted. Uh, who do you think? Uh, who do you think's going to win the whole thing, George? I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, uh, Geelong. Um, uh, fortunate in that uh, it was only a 17-game season and their old heads like the the Ablets and the Selwoods uh, are back after having been rested for a long time and uh, Taylor's the same. Traditionally, they get to the end of the season. This has been the case for the last couple of years where um, they just fall away so badly because they do have an ageing list there. Um, but I think they might be advantaged this year um, with the shorter season and having rested those players. Um, Port Adelaide are not sold on Hinkley as a coach, um, particularly after I watched uh, I watched the Geelong Port Adelaide game, and and he just gave Geelong the game uh, by not making the required moves that he had to make. He he left a, a I think a, a a second year player or a first year player playing on Hawkins, and Hawkins had an absolute um, day out. And that would have been a very obvious change to make. And Hinkley just left him there to be crucified, unfortunately. Um, I think Richmond are the are, are the real the real goers um, this year. They've got everything going for them. Um, they're playing some really exciting football. Um, they, they're not getting uh, to the point in games where they, they're um, losing them or, or giving the lower teams a chance. They are indeed ruthless. Uh, Brisbane might have the youth and enthusiasm to get themselves through to the finals, uh, but I think Richmond are going to be the the ones that are going to make it this year. Be mad. Uh, I've lost all enthusiasm for the <laughs> sport known as Australian rules football. So <laughs> my ability to think forward, if I'm thinking through the kick, uh, I can't stand the thought of Richmond winning again. I just can't stand it. Um, I can't stand watching Scott win a grand final, so that's off the target, uh, off the table. I don't like any of them. I don't want. I don't any mind of them. Brisbane. I could, I could be happy enough for them, and I wouldn't mind the doggies. But I, I, I actually think Port are um, um, a good chance in terms of punting. I think they're seven and seven, seven dollars at the moment, and I reckon um, 
uh, and I think from memory uh, the, the Tigers are four twenty or something, four fifty favourites, uh, deserved favourites. But I reckon the um, uh, Port have got the right mixture of um, of players, energy. Um, their system is good. They've got great sort of spread of players um, with different um, attributes. I really like how they you know their spread of um, you know in and under players like Wine and um, what's the other the bald headed bloke. Um, Powell Pepper. Powell Pepper. Um, you know, they've got uh, Dixon up forward. They've got lots of sort of X factor players in their young players. Um, so I think that, you know, that I, I'm assuming, am I right to think that they'll get a home final in the first week uh, in Adelaide? Yes. So they'll, they'll win that game. Um, and, uh, you know, they're with the top. That gives them a big leg up playing at home in front of a crowd. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'll be putting some um, money on them to win. And from that point on, I'll just assume that they're, they're going to win. So I'm, I'm saying Port. Andy? Very good. Um, I'm, I'm leaning I'm leaning towards uh, either Port or the Tigers uh, going to win. Um, I'm hoping it's not Geelong. Uh, if I had to... If my want, I'd probably want for me Brisbane's the the least offensive <laughs> from winning from a winning perspective. I don't know any Brisbane supporters, and um, they're yeah the least least offensive in my book. So uh, let them let them have it. And I like their coach. I, I, I like it when he talks to his players on the boundary line. Um, I like it when he has a, when he gets really angry and has a spray because it seems out of character for him. But I don't know. Yeah. There's just too many teams I don't like that are in there, and uh, I'm pretty dark that we're not there. So, one, yeah. one thing about the dogs, I couldn't stand winning. If thinking of that game, that was the other comment I was seeing about the Bulldogs Dockers games is how many times did they throw the football? Oh, they do it every week, what is that? and they've added a new one this year the over the head throw. It's like, what is going on? This is ridiculous. Bloody handball it, not throw it. So, yeah, I can't. I, yeah. And if Wallace. Sorry, I've just lost it for a while. So I can't. Dog's been not make it. Okay. And all of our biases are coming out because none of us think Collingwood are good enough. Oh, well, I don't. And I don't. would there be, I mean, it would be terrible, wouldn't it, if there was a COVID um, sort of problem right before the grand final and they had to call it off and not have a, a winner at all this year? That would be a disaster for the AFL, you'd think. <laughs> Getting through the whole season and, and the then, whole uh, team, the whole Collingwood team breaches everyone else up there. <laughs> it's going to go out with a bang. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, let's leave it there. We've had a long show. Um, well, we'll uh, we'll be back. Um, We'll be back. Uh, maybe we'll come back in a couple of weeks. We'll, we'll do a rundown of all the players that give a playlisting. Uh, we'll definitely be back uh, after trade week to discuss who we're brought in after the draft as well. Um, anyway, go D's 2021. Go Red Leg. <laughs>